0: All right, if you open your Bibles to the prophecy of Obadiah, I'll give you a couple minutes, because <laughs> he's so little. He's teeny little prophecy, smallest prophecy, smallest book that we have in the Old Testament. Uh, you'll find him after the major prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. But when you're in the New Testament, you've gone too far. <laughs> Before Matthew, you find him in there. Uh, uh, Book of Obadiah is a, really a very powerful message that is given to the nation of Edom. And it is a description of the problem of pride. It is really a a great message about what pride looks like and why it's a problem and what we're going to read about concerning Edom and its pride problem we will observe as really a human problem and a nation problem that we observe amongst ourselves and and even in our own culture. The the very first words of Obadiah really do uh, set the tone as you begin to wonder what is happening uh, here in these days. You have uh, the prophecy beginning in verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, Though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border, Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed. O shall that so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On that day you stood aloof on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gate. And cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth on the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroad to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they have never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivors for the house of Israel for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau and those of Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephathah. And the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Shephrad, shall possess the cities of the Negev. Savior shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. This is a really, really neat prophecy. And you'll notice that that beginning is verse 1. Here is this report. The nations are rising up for battle. The nations are gathering together and they are going to make war. And here is God's word in verse 2. I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. And so here is the strong word against Edom. The nations are battling against you. They're going to rouse up and rise up against you. And they are going to come and destroy you. And God says, I'm doing this. I am going to make you small. I am going to make you shameful i am going to wreck you and immediately with that beginning you kind of read this and go well why why has this happened in verse 3 sets the heart of the problem right away the pride of your heart has deceived you this is the essence of the problem the pride that is in your heart has deceived you and it is explained in verse 3 that they thought they were invincible they said, as they said in their own hearts at the end of verse 3, who will bring me down to the ground? They didn't think anybody was going to be able to defeat them. Now to understand why that is, I get to use this PowerPoint and give you some pictures of the land of Eden. And you begin to get a sense of why they thought so highly of themselves and why they thought nobody could bring them down and why they're sitting up so lofty in the clefts of the rocks. Here's one picture. Of the Land of Eden, Edom. Edom, many of the areas in the land of Edom sat about fifty five hundred uh, feet above elevation, and so in a lot of the places you 're going to be going up quite a hill to be able to go against Edom to be able to fight against them you 're probably aware of some of the pictures of some of the famous cities uh, that were there. Petra is certainly one of them that is very well known, but here you get a sense of this City and living places in the clefts of the rocks. This is what Edom looked like. And you would live in this and they're saying, you can't come up and get us. How are you going to fight against us? We're up here in the clefts of the rock. We're in the cliffs dwelling there. Here's some beautiful pictures of some of the great uh, castles that they had and great palaces that they had to be able to say, you're not going to be able to go uh, against us in, in the slightest. It was hard to find one that had a picture of people, but this one actually does. But so my laser pointer doesn't work on the screen. But you might see over here this real little guy, just to give you a sense of how big this place is. So this is what they're doing is they're looking at themselves and they're saying, you can't get us. We are strong. We're mighty. We have all these fortifications. We're up here in the clefts of the rock. Nobody's going to destroy us. Nobody's going to wipe us out. And of course, here we are. And I just ask you, how many Edomites do you know? That's what God says. God says, okay, you think you're so strong. You think you're so mighty. Here you are in the cleft of the rock. Here you are sitting in these high places and you think you're impervious and nobody's going to be able to get you. But He says there in verse 4, though you soar aloft like the eagle, see the imagery. Here you are up high in these mountains and hills. You think you're so, so powerful up here. He says, though your nest is set among the stars, God says from there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Here's their problem. They, they think well, nobody can get us. They didn't take a calculation in God. They forgot God. They didn't consider that God has the power to bring them down. That God who arrives from the clouds of heaven and as some of the images would be used by the prophets, He is the one who can destroy. He is the one who can come against them. And that's what's being stated here. Is, here is this report. God is going to use the nations against you. And I myself, verse 2, am going to be the one who will bring you down. I am the one who's going to show you your shame. I am the one who's going to show this, that you are not invincible. And this really then becomes the foundation of pride. The place that pride comes from is that we forget God. Pride comes from believing that we do not need God. I can depend upon myself, I have my own strength, I have my own wealth, I have my own abilities, I am completely self-sufficient, I do not need God. And I think the sad thing as I considered this prophecy was that kind of attitude is really proclaimed and glorified in our culture. It is the goal of life to be completely self-sufficient and invent no need for anyone and to presume that I can do everything and nobody can bring me down and I have all my wealth to myself and I did it by my own hands, by my own power, by my own knowledge, by my own wisdom. It was my education. I am so smart and I did all of these things. And that's how our culture operates. And the people of Edom did the same thing. The people of Edom are running around saying, we have made uh, such an impervious place. Look at us. We built this great place up in the clefts of the rock. And we are so smart. And who is going to bring us down? We're sitting up here pretty. You can't destroy us. And God goes, but you forgot something. You forgot that God can. And that the reason that you exist is not because of your strength or your knowledge or your wisdom or your wealth, but because God allowed you. To exist. In fact, you'll notice in these verses, especially in the first half, that the things that Edom relied upon and took their pride in are the very things that we take pride in as a people and as a nation. For example, verse 8, he says. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom? Now, you might remember, we, uh, Edom was renowned for its wisdom. Job's three friends, one of his friends came from timnah the hub of wisdom and knowledge. And so here they are relying on their wisdom. We are so smart. I mean, we have so much wisdom. I mean, we are up here in these rocks and we are brilliant. And our culture does the same thing. I I find it humorous in many ways how our culture has in many ways done the exact same thing. We are so educated. We are so advanced, we are so knowledgeable, we are so evolved from our predecessors, we know so much more than those who live before us, we are so much smarter than them, they are just a bunch of Neanderthals or buffoons, and we are so enlightened and so intelligent. That's usually how history is pretty well presented and by people today. That's very much a postmodern idea. Is that Well, we have just come so much further in our understanding. We are just so much more wise. We just have so much more knowledge than people of the past. Well, that's what these people said. And God said, you're forgetting something. <laughs> that wisdom doesn't matter on the day you stand before God. You think you're at where you're at because you're so smart or so wise or so experienced or so knowledgeable? God goes, You've forgotten something. You've forgotten the God who rules over all these things. And you've forgotten the God that allows you to live in the way that you've lived. Similarly, verse 7 and verse 9. They also took pride in verse 7. You'll see that they took pride in their allies. They're relying upon all the allies that they have around them. And here's God saying, you don't realize that your allies have turned their back on you. Verse 9, they relied upon their military might. Verse 9 says "Uh, that their mighty men are going to be dismayed. And so here they're looking at this and going, here's the reason we can't fall. We're educated and wise and smart, and we have made great alliances in the world around us, and we have an army of mighty men and we cannot fall no nation's ever said that right? that's just you know really a weird idea there <laughs> every nation does that every generation does that every generation thinks they're the smartest this is one of the funnest things when I was a teenager yeah my parents didn't know every, anything at all now my kids don't think I know anything at all we're always the smartest ones kind of the cutting edge right? and here's God going no you're not You think you're so wise, you're so smart by doing all of these things. And what God continually is trying to get across to the people is, listen to me, because the reason you're here is because God has allowed it. And the problem is you are forgetting God. And by forgetting God, that is what is causing you to have pride in your wealth, in your armies, in your allies, in your wisdom. This is the reason why for that. Over and over again, you will see in the Scriptures how God tried to warn nations about not doing that. I'm going to read for you Deuteronomy chapter 8. And you just listen to how God tried to warn Israel before they even possessed the land. He warns them and says, now here's what's going to happen. You're going to forget me and think it's by your own might and your own wisdom that all this good is happening to you. Listen to how God just prophesies of the problem of of Israel and it is really of all humanity. Deuteronomy 8 verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of My hand has gotten Me this well. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Here's God giving the very same message to Israel and says, now here's what's going to happen. You're going to have an abundance of stuff. You're going to have wealth and you're going to have things and you're going to have prosperity and you're going to have goods. And what you're going to do is you're going to say these words. It is by my power and the might of my hand that I got this wealth. And notice how that all began in verse 11 when he said, what you've done is you have forgotten the Lord your God. And I want you to see how Obadiah makes the same connection. Your pride comes from forgetting that it was the Lord your God who gave you what you have and that you experienced the things that you have. You have forgotten who gave you all of these things and you say it's by your might and your power and God goes, let me show you how it's not. For when you forget me, he says, I'll make you like the other nations and you'll perish along with them. And that's what's happening here in Obadiah is God is saying, so you have forgotten me, right? So let me show you who rules over your nation. You say it's by your might you live up high and you have this great wisdom and you have this, these allies and you have this strength. And God says, verse 2, I will make you small among the nations and you shall be utterly despised. Let me just show you. In fact, what makes this particularly fascinating is that these first four verses are actually a quotation from Jeremiah's prophecy who earlier has already said this to the nation of Edom. Jeremiah, over in chapter 49, verses 14 through 16 there, he says these very words verbatim and Obadiah opens the prophecy with, do you remember what Jeremiah said about your pride? The time has come. And now I'm going to make you small. Jeremiah had warned them equally and said, you better watch it. And your pride is the reason why you're going to fall. That's the reason why you're going to be made small. That's why you're going to be decimated. They made no changes. And so now Obadiah comes along and he begins with Jeremiah's prophecy, almost like saying, remember? And now he's going to say, now here's the reasons why your judgment is going to fall upon you. Because what the rest of this scene does in the middle of Obadiah now, is he describes it is the pride that has caused this evil that they are committing to happen. He's going to describe all of this evil that they're doing. And they're doing it against Israel. And the reason why that they are doing this evil and why they are acting so wickedly comes from pride. I don't know that we always make that connection about sinfulness and pride. But Obadiah does here. He starts with the problem of pride and the forgetting of God. And notice some of the things that we read about the people of Edom were doing that Obadiah notes. Verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. First picture. Obadiah is prophesying to Edom after... Israel has been invaded by the Babylonians. Remember, you have three invasions of the southern nation of Judah that they come in with three invasions, attack them, take away goods, take away peoples, cart people off the land. And what is being reflected here by Obadiah is how Edom responded when the Babylonians came in and caused this destruction and invasions against Judah. And so verse 10 gives us the first picture of what they were doing. Notice that they are joining in on the violence. They're participating in it. They're looking at Israel and they are not helping whatsoever. He says in verse 10, because of the violence done to your brother, you joined in on that. And friends, pride does that. Pride is the reason why we lose compassion for other people. Because it's all about me. And I don't care about you. All that matters is what affects me and what's good for me. And I don't care if it hurts you so long as it's good for me. And that's how Edom is going at it. Here's the Babylonians invading and they're looking at a going, Well, that's good for us. And so they join in on the violence and they have no compassion for them whatsoever. And they're even willing to harm them and cause violence to them. We wonder in our society, Why people are breaking laws, why people hurt others, why violence is increasing. We wonder why things are happening the way that they do. Pride. Because I'm number one and you don't matter. It doesn't matter what happens to you. All that matters is what happens to me. And so, this is the basis of violence. This is the basis of wickedness. Is all that I have is a concern for myself. When we forget God, we think we are important. And we think we are the ones that must receive what we want to receive. And it doesn't matter if others suffer in the process. I think that's interesting because you'll see that similarly there in verse 11. On that day, you stood aloof. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth, speaking of Judah, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, and you were like one of them. Notice there's no help from Edom whatsoever. They looked at the invasion and said, Doesn't affect me any. What do I care? Go ahead. Wipe them out. Go ahead, be violent. Go ahead and treat them cruelly. Edom took the point of view that said, Well, if it doesn't affect me, I don't care. We are very entrenched in that kind of thinking today. If it doesn't affect me, then what do I care? No concern whatsoever. And this is shameful and it happens because of pride. And we ought to recognize this. This is not anything new. This is can be seen all throughout the records of history. You know, sometimes it would be interesting to have a conversation with someone. You talk about uh, historic evils of the past. I think Hitler always becomes one of the top five on the board of uh, genocide uh, of all of the Jews that happened in those in, the, in those nations at that time. Why was that allowed? It doesn't affect me. Right? Not until it becomes my problem does somebody do something about it. That's what happens. This is pride. This is selfishness. As long as it's somewhere else, we don't care. We'll just let whatever happen, happen. Whatever violence, whatever wicked, because it doesn't affect me any. As long as I can sit here and enjoy my wealth and my economics and my comfort and my ease, who cares? This is what Edom is saying. We don't care. Knock them down. Stood aloof. Didn't care, didn't help, no concern, no compassion. And notice that here God is judging Edom for that. God is judging Edom and saying this was an evil that they had. They should have been concerned when they saw Israel suffering. Even though God was the one who was bringing the judgment rightly against Judah, God still says to Edom, you should have cared. You should have had compassion. You shouldn't have stood aloof. I don't know much of the current situation of all the refugees that are going on in the world right now, but there was one notable scene that got a lot of uproar, and you might have caught it, where was there was this one journalist or something who was tripping and kicking people as they were fleeing. Where does that come from? Where's that, lack, where's that lack of compassion come from? Right. You don't care about another person. You don't care about their situation. You don't care about their plight. You don't care what they're going through. All you care about is how does it affect me? And this is why we see our world going the way that it is and why we see the violence grow and why we see the problems continuing and why evil is on the rise is because pride simply says all that I care about is how circumstances affect me. Notice it goes even further in verse 12. When verse 12 says they were gloating over them in the day of their misfortune, they were boasting in their ruin. Middle of verse 12, they're taking joy and rejoicing over the misfortune that Judah is experiencing. Verse 13, here they are entering the gate of the people and gloating over their disaster. That's callous, that's cold. And he's pointing out to them and saying, you don't even care about them. And then to add to it, verse, end of verse 13, notice he says, you're looting their wealth in the day of their calamity. Pride says, I can take from you whatever I want. I'll just do whatever I want to do and I will take from you and I can have what I think is right for me. And they go in and they begin taking from Israel their own treasures and looting along with the Babylonians and joining in in this wickedness. I want us to observe... Pride shows no regard for others and this is why pride is so often condemned. This is why God just hammers on pride and says, this is the heart of evil. This is where the problem comes from. You're supposed to be humble before your God and consider other people and be compassionate for them. But that cannot happen when we are thinking of ourselves and only concerned about self. This cannot happen. We cannot then operate as a people before God, and we think that way. And so notice then, verse 15, what God says He's going to do about that. In verse 15 now, He begins to describe the judgment that's going to come. In verse 15, He says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. This is an interesting statement because... We noted at the beginning, this is a judgment that is against Edom. And yet, verse 15, God says, this is a judgment against all the nations. And the reason why I think is is simply twofold. One, what Edom is doing is consistent with all humanity. This is what all of us do. We are bound up in our pride and selfishness. And we are worthy of a judgment that is going to fall. And we saw in the book of Isaiah that Edom stands as a representation of all who stand against God and His people. And so it was a natural then point to say, now the day of the Lord is going to come and Edom is going to fall. And Edom represents those who are not the people of God. Those who stand against the ways of God. God is going to do something about it. And notice the measure of judgment that's given there in verse 15. As you have done, so it will be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. That is, I believe, a chilling punishment to think about. God says, I'm going to judge all peoples all the nations and what you did to others it's going to be done to you new testament uses that an awful lot how god will often talk about what you sow you're going to reap matthew 25 jesus used the same analogy of what you did to others is what you did to him Often the scriptures speak in this way of this warning of judgment and it should cause us, I think, what the intention of the prophecy is, is fear to think about the idea that we would stand before God and that there is a day of the Lord and there is a judgment that is going to come and God is going to judge the peoples and judge the nations and God's response is simply this. Here's how judgment will fall. What you have done to others, that's what's going to happen to you. Now, does anybody feel confident about that day? You're not supposed to. That's why God said it that way to, to, in the prophecy of Obadiah to Edom. And as He spoke it to all the nations. How's that going to feel if we on the day of judgment stand before our God and He goes, All right, here's how it's going to go, Brent. Books open, and everything you did to others, that's what I'm going to do back to you. You ready? That's not good. That's a fearful moment that God is trying to communicate to his people. Do you understand where we stand before our God? It is a reminder to us that pride is where we lose grace. When we think we are standing and we are going to operate and depend upon ourselves, and we're mighty, and we have our wisdom and our wealth and our strength and our well-being because of our education and our decisions and our goodness and all that we've done. That pride seeps in and causes us then to take steps where we turn our back away from the Lord. And verse 16 pushes that idea even further when he says, For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and it shall be as though they have never been. Anytime God ever talks to you about drinking from a cup or drinking wine or something like that, that is very bad. Because God is describing judgment that's going to come. Usually He'll use the image that you're going to drink the wine of His wrath with full strength. And that's what some of those passages will even have. You're going to drink from the cup of His wrath. And that's the, the imagery that He is using here. Is Just as you have done, I'm going to do to you. You are going to receive the same. You are going to drink and swallow. And notice the result at the end of verse 16 is not good. The end of the, the result there is it will be as though you've never been. Full judgment is coming. I think about how the book of Revelation ends and using the same imagery and talking again to the nations about a judgment to come. And God used the same thing. Behold, I'm coming, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what each has done. Same idea. This is supposed to blow a hole in the Pride and self-sufficiency department when you hear God say, I'm going to repay by what you've done. I don't want to stand on my deeds anymore. That doesn't feel very good to go, okay, Lord, well, look at all the good that I've done. That's not going to work at all. I can't stand on my deeds. I can't stand on my decisions. I, I no longer want to do that and say, well, look at my wisdom and look at my wealth and look at all that I've done. Here's God going, all right, you want to be evaluated that way? Let's evaluate that way. As you have done, so it'll be done to you. There is nothing then but doom for those who forget God. That's the whole point of what Obadiah is getting at. You have forgotten your God. You thought you stood on high, and you thought you were invincible. And you just thought you had life figured out and it was all by your hand and your mind. And God says, you've forgotten there's a day of the Lord that's coming. And I'm going to bring you down and I'm going to judge you. Verse 17 is the great insertion of hope. And God does that. I love that God will do that. He has to push you to the point of warning and say, okay, you want to stand on your own, you have trouble. Verse 17 is the, is the message of hope and the offer of salvation. Verse 17, but in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. Ah, oh. <laughs> Those who run to the Lord, those who put their hope in the Lord, they're the ones who are not going to be repaid according to their deeds. That's the message he's communicating here through Obadiah. It's not going to be the utter wipeout of everybody because those who will come to me, those who will come to Mount Zion, they can belong as God's people and they are not going to receive what is due to them. So how can there be pride in the people of God? That's why God again and again and again is saying, you have to humble yourselves before the Lord. You do not exalt yourself. Humble yourself before God. There's no room for pride in the kingdom of God. And those who will humble themselves, those who will be meek, those who will be poor in spirit, these are the ones who understand where they are before God and turn to Him for salvation. And do not try to stand on their own merits or their own acts. In fact, you'll notice that verses 18 through 21 is really amazing, really very hopeful in the language that's used. Verse 18 The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau a stubble. We have to recognize that we are not talking about some physical point where we're going to look and go, oh, well, notice how Israel destroyed Edom. That's not how history played out. We're not looking at the physical nations anymore at this point. We are looking at the true people of God and that those who go to Zion and those who belong to the Lord. Notice the picture. They're the victors. They're the ones who are the fire is what God describes and He says and the ones who stand against God, they are the ones who are the stubble. The enemies of God are going to get their due. Enemies of God are going to be destroyed and that's the message of hope from Obadiah to the these who are the true people of God. Yes, these worldly people are doing evil by you but God is going to judge. God is going to deal with them and so you turn to Zion, you put your hope in me for the victory belong to the Lord. They are the ones who will enjoy the blessings of God. End of verse 18, as for the house of Esau, there's not going to be any survivors for the Lord has spoken. God's enemies are going to be destroyed. Verses 19 through 20, great picture of God's people being restored to the promises of God. These land promises, kingdom promises, covenant blessing promises are all being stated out right here. And we know again, Israel never regained any physical power on the land. He's not prophesying that, well, you're going to rule over your land again. That didn't happen. He's looking forward to a greater vision of God's people, inheriting the promises of God, enjoying the victory that comes from turning away from iniquity and turning their hearts to the Lord and following Him and serving Him and obeying Him. Along with that, then, verse 21, I think is the most fascinating of all. I think I spent the most time of this lesson on the first word of verse 21. <laughs> that plural just had me in a pretzel. <laughs> Saviors, plural. Shall go up, from, go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And every way I tried to look at that, I'm trying to find, is that where we're we talking about Christ Himself? But It's plural. And what we see again is the picture of God's people being victorious they're described as the victors receiving the promises of God enjoying the covenant promises and they're described even as deliverers and saviors who are ruling over Mount Esau and when you think of the book of Revelation that same kind of imagery is used where you see it is the people of God though they've died because of their faithfulness to the Lord they're pictured as surrounding the throne of God they are shown as victorious over the nations over the peoples is a beautiful imagery that is being used here in verse 21 that is so similar to what Revelation's promising to the people of God is you do have victory with Christ over the world, over the nations, you are reigning with him and ruling with him or belonging to this glorious kingdom and so what a great picture of hope for those who belong to him and so then to sum up what verses 17 to 21 are basically getting at is the Humble are going to be exalted. And those who are proud are going to be humiliated. And what Obadiah has observed throughout this then is that here are the problems that come from pride. God is going to repay for our actions. Pride is not something we want to have in our lives because God is going to repay if we live proud, arrogant, Boastful, self-dependent, independent lives before Him. That's not what God wants. God will repay for our actions. And that pride then is the cause for so many sinful behaviors. As He describes in this book, it is pride that causes us to commit evil. It is pride that causes us to stand against God. And God has said, there's no hope then. There is no hope for us. Instead, there is a worthiness of judgment that comes from pride. And so what I want to spend the just final minute or two talking about then is how do we prevent that? Since pride is such a concern throughout the Scriptures, identified in the New Testament many times, it is the subject of this whole single prophecy is in your heart you had pride. In your heart you thought you were great. The pride of your heart has deceived you. So how can we keep the pride of our heart from deceiving us? You know, one of the things the Scriptures often point to, Romans 1 talks about it, but one of the key ways to combat pride is to be thankful and God-honoring for all things in all circumstances. There is a reason why God tells us again and again, to pray always, to be thankful at all circumstances, at all times, and always. Always talking about be thankful and be thankful. And be thankful some more. And pray always. And we read those and go, okay, okay, pray always and always be thankful. God it why? It is the key way to fight against pride. It's the key way to fight against selfishness. To be able to not have the pride of our heart deceive us. It is so important to be thankful for our circumstance, for who we are, for where we are, because we just need to boil it down to this. We are who we are because of God. We have what we have because of God. We are where we are because of God. We are thankful to God for all of these things because He's the whole reason why we are where we are. God at moment will moment just go, okay, that's the end of bread. Who's going to argue with that? He has a right to do that. And I have no talent or good deeds to go, no, 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 you've you got to hold off on that. Everything that we enjoy is coming from the good hand of God. James chapter 1, he writes to those Christians and reminds them of that. You know he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He tells, he tells the people of Israel in Deuteronomy, when you go into that land and you enjoy all these blessings, you know who's blessing you, right? It's God. And it is so easy, and I believe such a danger in our society for as prosperous as we are and all the things that we do enjoy, to forget to be thankful to God. To simply forget... That the blessings of our family, the blessing of this congregation, the blessing of our prosperity, the blessing of our job, the blessing of everything that we enjoy and the very breath you just took a second ago is given to us by the hand of God and is a blessing of God. These people forgot that. And God says, let me remind you and says, I will make you small and bring you down. And we don't want to fall into the same trap. Instead, every blessing, let us treat it as coming from the very hand of God. And let us take the opportunity to stop in the day and be thankful for God, not only for the big things, but for every little thing that we have. It's not a bad thing to be reminded of a song that tells you, count your many blessings, name them one by one. There's value to that It keeps us from pride It'll keep us from the judgment That God has warned will come Against those who rely upon themselves Pull your song books out We'll sing invitation song And we invite you to come to Jesus for he is the reason why we can be saved from our sins he is the reason why we do not have to stand in judgment and stand before God and say well you're going to be judged according to your deeds it's because of his mercy and grace that we can be forgiven of the things that we've done wrong and stand before him clean in his sight will you turn to him tonight will you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and begin to walk faithfully as a servant of him will you come and do that now while we stand in one, we